You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Welcome to our brand new teaching series called Called Out. And really, this is going to be a series where we learn what it means to be the people that God has called us to be. It comes from the Greek word for church, which is the word ekklesia, which really refers to an assembly, a gathering, or a congregation. And really, that word ekklesia is a combination of two Greek words, ek, which means out, to come out of something, and kaleo, which means to call. So literally, for us to be the church means to be we are God's called people who are called to be blessed by God so that we could be a blessing to the rest of the world. And it's never been more difficult for us to actually be a people. I believe there's an equation that we're going to talk about uh, that actually it, it creates incredible resistance to us being a collective, to being that assembly, to being the group that God has called us to be. And the first element of that equation is an individualistic culture. America, maybe even more than other countries, is an individualistic culture. Uh, we're definitely not a collective culture that values you know, uh, tribe decision-making, family decision-making. Uh, it is celebrated when someone you know, earns their own way and they blaze their own trail in this world. We want to be a self-made man or a self-made woman. So we live in an individualistic culture. We have an independence day, and, and really that value of independence is celebrated when we see that and others. But then when you add to the individualistic culture that we already live, the age that we live in is a social distancing age. And I almost don't even need to explain this anymore, right? The last year has been a year of social distancing. And so what that means is, you know, because of COVID, because of pandemic, because of, you know, just the age that we live in, it's made it increasingly more difficult to do relationships, to cultivate community. And relationships, they take work. They take energy. They take effort. And they take, certainly, intentionality. And so even if we want community, we don't always know how to do it anymore. Those rhythms of relationships have fallen by the wayside. And we need to relearn those rhythms. We need to relearn how to call someone and invite them over for dinner. We need to relearn how to invite someone out for coffee. And so what the result of those two factors is, is of an individualistic culture, when you add a social distancing age, is you get an all-by-myself mindset, an all-by-myself attitude, where really the way that we try and live our lives nowadays is we try and live our lives all by myself. You can cue up the Celine Dion song, or you can listen to that later, right? We, we live these lives that are all by ourselves, And so we try and fill our need for relationships by just scrolling endlessly through social media. Uh, We become the kinds of people who uh, don't practice vulnerability. Somebody will ask how you're doing, and you'll just say the the simple one-word answers like fine or good or tired, but we never let people beneath the surface. We don't practice vulnerability and transparency, and we certainly don't ask people for help. Right? When we ask people for help, it's a sign of weakness. Or if we do get to the point where we ask others for help, we actually are ashamed of that. And really, this all-by-myself attitude, I would say, is one of the things that is preventing us from being 
the group that God has called us to be. And so today what we'll be looking at is we will be learning how to go deeper in relationship with God and deeper in relationship with one another. Let's go ahead and jump into our teaching text for today from Luke chapter 10. In Luke 10, starting in verse 38, it says, Now as they went on their way, that's Jesus and the disciples, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, really, this is a story about Mary and Martha, and maybe it's familiar to you. Maybe you've heard it uh, before. Mary and Martha are friends of Jesus. They show up a few times throughout uh, the ministry of Jesus. They live in a village, Bethany, which is right near Jerusalem. And I believe that when Luke includes this small account of Martha being busy, making food, cleaning the house, and Mary sitting with Jesus, really there's three layers to this text. There's three levels that this text operates in. And so I want to explore each of these three layers. And the first one is actually a cultural layer where Luke records this to show how Jesus is breaking the normal cultural trends for for really uh, the culture's view of women. Martha is fulfilling kind of the typical uh, role for a woman 2,000 years ago where she's in the kitchen. She's cooking. She's cleaning. That, That really her value comes from the service that she provides to others. Her value comes from homemaking. And yet you have Mary who is doing something that really it it, it would be so unheard of in the first century. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. That posture, really sitting at a rabbi's feet, is actually a way of referring to a disciple. This is how uh, the Apostle Paul refers to when he was a disciple of his rabbi Gamaliel in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. Paul says simply, I sat at Gamaliel's feet, as in I was his student, I was his disciple. And so really that was unheard of, that that rabbis only had male disciples. And so Mary is sitting there along with the boys and she's listening and she's learning. And and so that's the first level that we see here. And, And yet while that was unheard of in the rest of culture, it's not unheard of in the ministry of Jesus. If you turn back just a couple chapters in Luke uh, chapter 8, we also see women showing up in in the proclamation of the gospel. In Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1, soon afterward, he, that's Jesus, went on through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. So he's evangelizing. He's sharing the gospel. And the 12 were with him. That's the 12 disciples. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And so you have Mary Magdalene, uh, you have a woman named Joanna, and there's other women as well. And these women, we're led to believe, are joining in the evangelistic efforts. In fact, some of these women are even financially supporting, right? So, So Jesus and his ministry is funded by these women. And so Jesus invites women to be, uh, to participate in the ministry. Not as a second rank, but, but right there alongside with the men. And so this is, I, I'm even in today in some context, this is kind of mind-blowing, but certainly 2,000 years ago, this is quite shocking. 
Bible scholar Mark Strauss says it like this. Jesus shatters cultural expectations by affirming the status of a woman as his disciple. So that's really one of the first layers that you see here, especially Luke, if if you're familiar with Luke's writings in the New Testament. He writes the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. When Luke writes, one of the things he does is he highlights how Jesus turns everything upside down, how Jesus cares especially for people groups who are oppressed or who are not as valued as other people groups. So like people who were poor, uh, people who were disenfranchised, Luke himself being a Gentile. He highlights Jesus's care and concern for the Gentiles. And he also includes women, right? Who women were thought of as second class. And I just want you to hear this. If you're a woman, you are not second class. In the kingdom of God, there is a place for you and a role for you. And and we need you to join in the church and be a part of how God uses you and your gifts and your skills to reach the lost world. Uh, We look back and we are thankful for all of the strong women throughout church history who who really were were mothers of the faith right alongside the fathers of the faith. And I just want you to hear that as a woman, uh, me as a father of two daughters, I want to raise my girls to see the value that they have, that they can make a massive difference in God's kingdom. So that's the first layer that we see to the story is is there's a cultural commentary that Jesus is making. It's shocking for Mary to view herself as a disciple, but what's even more scandalous is that Jesus, he, he doesn't cast her away. He allows her to sit at his feet and to be his disciple. And then we have the second layer to this story. It is really talking and teaching us about interpersonal relationships, the way that we do community. So if we compare and contrast Martha for a moment with Mary, what we'll see is two different personality types. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not saying if you're type A, then you're wrong and it's bad to to have checklists or it's bad to get work done or it's bad to be busy or anything like that. But really what we're we're learning here is is Martha's problem is not that she's serving. Uh, Diakonos is the word serving. It can also be used to describe the word hospitality or even ministry, right? It's where we get the word deacon from, people who are, you know, ministers. They're, They're doing ministry. It's not wrong that she's serving. The thing that's wrong is she's distracted. The thing that's wrong is not that she's serving. The thing that's wrong is that she's distracted. It's the Greek word uh, perispao. It means to be busy, drawn away, or distracted. And so Martha's issue is not just that she's type A. It's not just that she has checklists and she wants to get stuff done. The problem is she's drawn away from what? She's being drawn away from Jesus. That all of her priorities are actually blinding her to the fact that her friend, right? Before we talk about the fact that Jesus is Jesus and she's being drawn away from her Savior, she's being drawn away from her friend. And we do this in our lives. Uh, We allow distraction and busyness to actually get in the way of relationships. The way that uh, we can use to describe Martha is it's like she's got all these pots and pans, right? And they're loud and she's got this. Have you ever done this, right? Where you're cooking multiple things and she's trying to scoop something. And I do this sometimes. I'm making eggs and pancakes and trying to flip. And her life is just loud and it's distracted. And so she's got all these different priorities and she feels like she's got all these different plates spinning. The reason I show you that is because you feel like that sometimes, don't you? We all feel like that. We live in a fast-paced culture. 
We live in a performance-based culture, in a success-driven culture, where, where our value, sometimes like Martha, if she's falling into this trap, is sometimes, uh, is sometimes narrowed down to what you produce, how you perform, what you get done, right? It's the idea that I am what I do. And so if you're falling into that performance trap, I would just, I, I would just encourage you to, to take a, a solid look at where that leads you. This idea of distraction and busyness and endless emails and endless you know, to-do lists and, and endless projects on your house and cleaning and cooking and oil changes and bills. Right? I just feel stressed out thinking about all the different things that we do. But all of those things that are creating anxiety and trouble for us, what, what Jesus is telling us is he's trying to teach us that distraction leads us to loneliness. Distraction leads us to loneliness. Notice the words of Martha. When, when she you know, complains to Jesus and she blames her sister, she says, she has left me all alone. She says, I'm all by myself. And so sometimes we, we want to be all by ourselves or our culture tells us we want to be, but nobody, no, ma- no matter how you know, much of an introvert you are, nobody likes being lonely. And we live in our culture, if you just look at where all of our distraction, our screen time, our emails, our busyness leads us, we live in a culture that is one of the most lonely cultures that's ever existed and one of the most anxious cultures that's ever existed. And what are the two things we see Martha struggling with? She says, I'm all alone. And Jesus says to her, you are anxious and troubled about all these things. And so we need to take a good, honest look at where all of our busyness and our to-do list and our distraction leads us. It doesn't lead us towards people. It leads us towards loneliness. And so what does Martha do? She blames her sister. She blames someone else, right? It's someone else's fault. And she complains to Jesus. And yet it's her own busyness. It's her own distraction. It's her own, you know, pots and pans that has actually gotten her in this Position. So here's the point for us. Don't let the things you are doing prevent you from being in community. Don't let all the things you are doing prevent you from being in community. Because after all, we're not human doings. We are human beings. You see this in a number of different ways that this plays out. Uh, where maybe in a marriage you had that honeymoon phase and you remember where you, know, you just wanted to get home from work so you could see your spouse or you just craved time and you didn't even have to plan dates because you were at, wherever you went, you were going on a date. And then over the years, that relationship goes from you know, being in love with one another to now you, you feel like you're just roommates where the relationship is just transactional at best and you, know, you divvy out the chores, you divvy out who's going grocery shopping and who's mowing the yard, and you're helpful to each other, but you're not quite connecting or being with one another. It, it takes place uh, in parenting with kids, this idea of an absent parent. And there's a way uh, of being a parent where even if you're sitting at the dinner, dinner table, you're not really present with your family, where the phone is still going off, or you, you're taking your food and scarfing it down and you're leaving, right? The idea, uh, and we fall into this trap because we love our kids, right? Because you want to provide money for your kids so you work really hard so they can have a good education one day. 
or you want to, you know, make the home really nice and you want to, you know, rearrange the furniture or get new things and you want to prepare this your environment for your kids. And yet I just have to tell you what your kids need more than your money or more than a nice home is your kids need you. Your kids need you. Your spouse needs you, right? We're not just meant to be roommates or people who live in the same house. We're meant to be families. And it takes place in all other ways, right? In church or or with a life group or maybe even with your friends where relationships, when we're so busy and so distracted, what can happen is the relationships in our life become an inconvenience to us. Where it's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to have to get ready to go to church. I don't want to have to go to life group. I don't want to have to you know, go hang out with that friend. As opposed to what relationships were meant to be, which is a life-giving opportunity for connection. And so I would just say this to you. Look at all the things you're doing in your life. Are they actually preventing you from being in relationship with others? Don't let the things in your life prevent you from being in community. This is the second level. The third level, though, is actually teaching us about discipleship. And I think this is really the main reason why Luke includes this in his gospel. He wants to teach us about discipleship to Jesus. Martha is not just ignoring her friend. That's the interpersonal relationship level. She's ignoring who? She's ignoring Jesus, her Savior, the Christ, right? So here's the point for us to take into our discipleship to Jesus. Don't let what you were doing for God prevent you from being with God. This is really similar to our point about relationships with people, but don't let what you were doing for God prevent you from being with God. Because we can hear the protest of Martha, can't we? Martha, you know, could very easily argue with Jesus when he says, no, 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 your, your sister Mary has got it right. She could argue and she, she could say, but Lord, I am serving you. I'm preparing food for you, right? This is where that word, you know, dia, dia uh, diakonos comes into play. It's ministry, it's hospitality. It's, you know, I think this is especially a danger for pastors, for people working in the church to kind of feel like we have this holy cause, at, you know, at the cost of our own relationships with God or our own relationships with our families. And that's why boundaries are so incredibly important. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, uh, author of the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, an emotionally healthy leader, he talks a little bit about you know, his journey to burnout. He got to a place just as a successful pastor where his wife came up to him and said, I'm going to quit going to your church because I see the, the toll it's taking on our family and the toll it's taking on you personally. And so he really reached this point of, of burnout and being overly busy. This is what he says in his book, Emotionally Healthy Leader. When I first became a Christian, I fell in love with Jesus. I cherished time alone with him while reading the Bible and praying Yet almost immediately, the activity of my life, so that's the doing for Jesus, began to eclipse the contemplative dimension of my life, being with Jesus. And then he says this line, I was engaged in more activity for God than my being with God could sustain. We need to hear this in the American church. I was engaged in more activity, doing more things, serving, right? All that sort of stuff. Not that those things are, there's anything wrong with those things, but he just got the order mixed up. Then my being with God could sustain. So what we learn here is we need to allow ourselves to do the one thing. What is the one thing, according to Jesus? It's not the pots and pans, it's the shoes. It's sitting at the feet of the rabbi. It's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him and learning from him. It's spending time in God's 
presence. I've said over and over that I'm praying that 2021 is a year of presence for our church, where we would be a church who, who is defined and characterized by being present with God. That's something that you can do even if you're not attending in person. You can cultivate a life of presence with God. But what it's going to take is it's going to take intentionality, It's going to take setting down the pots and pans. It's going to take better boundaries. It's going to take a rule of life. We need to be a church where we seek the one thing. Jesus says there's one thing that is necessary. That word necessary is the the Greek word krya. It can actually mean there's one job. There's one task. So, So think about your job description as a follower of Jesus. What is it? It's to be with him. That's the beginning of discipleship, to be with Jesus. Jesus says something very similar in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the anxiety and the worry we have about the physical life that we live. He's talking about the food that we eat and the things that we drink and the clothes that we wear. He's talking about worry about our physical lives. And yet look at what Jesus says as the antidote. In Matthew 6, 33, he says, but seek first, the number one thing, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, this is not a blanket promise that if you're a Christian, God's going to make you rich or you're going to get you know, everything you want on your wish list. What this is, though, is this is Jesus teaching us. It's our job to seek first the kingdom, and it's God's job to take care of us. It's God's job to take care of us. And so it's not that you, know, you never need to, to, to take care of your physical life or cook a meal or, or, or have checklists or do your emails, right? Show up to work, work a job. Like, like, like we have to take this with some common sense. And yet what it's teaching us is Jesus is saying, what's the one thing that's the most important thing for you? And it's gotta be seeking first God's kingdom. Not even doing the work of the kingdom, but just seeking the kingdom in our own lives. And how do we seek the kingdom? We seek the king. We spend time with the king. We spend time with Jesus. There's this progression in discipleship we've talked about before, but it just goes like this, three simple steps. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And so what Martha is trying to do is she's trying to do step three before she's done steps one and steps two. And we try and do that because it's a little bit more measurable, right? You can measure how much you do for God, how much activity you're doing in your life. And so we try and do. Once again, we're human beings, not human doings. And so discipleship really begins with being with Jesus. But it's not like a step so, so that you move past. So it's not like you spend time with Jesus, then you become like him and you stop spending time with Jesus and then you start doing ministry and you stop becoming like him and being formed into the image of Christ. These are building on one another. They're added to one another. And so we could say accurately, the beginning of discipleship is being with Jesus and spending time in God's presence. And it's also the end goal of discipleship that what we'll be doing on the new heavens and the new earth, we will be spending time with our Savior. And so in the same way that distraction and busyness leads us to loneliness, look at what presence leads us to. Presence leads us to relationship. Presence leads us to relationship. Relationship with God, a deeper relationship with God, and also a relationship with one another. Now I want to speak to you for a moment. If you've never responded to the good news of the gospel. Maybe this idea of a relationship with the God of the universe seems just a little bit unattainable, where, where you have an, a hard time maybe even believing that God exists, let alone you know, being in a personal relationship with you. I just want to tell you today that that didn't stop Jesus from inviting you into a relationship with him. 
Because the reality is because of our sin and the ways that we've all rejected God, there's no way that we could ever you know, conjure up a relationship with him. There's no way we could ever work ourselves into a relationship with God. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus knocked on the door. That Jesus came to our house like he did with Mary and Martha and he's sitting in our living room and he's saying, come to me, spend time with me, be in relationship with me. I think about Jesus when he, he, he talks to Zacchaeus. He says, I'm coming to your house today and if you are watching this and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus is knocking on the door to your life. He's saying, I'm coming to your house today and he's just, he's just asking you, will you let me into your life? Because the God of the universe loves you so much that instead of staying distant and, and just the only option for us being you know, our own judgment and demise and death and destruction from our own sins, he says, I love you so much, I'm going to take on flesh as Jesus Christ, and I'm going to die on a cross for your sins and in your place. And he rose back to life and he says, I can raise you up into a new life. And you can live every single day of your life in relationship with the God of the universe. The words of James, the brother of Jesus, which, by the way, if you want to have a difficult person to convince that you're the son of God, it's going to be your own brother, right? Or for Jesus, his own half-brother. And he really doubted during his life. But then ultimately, he believed in the resurrection of Jesus, and he believed that Jesus is the son of God. He says this in James 4, 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And that's the invitation for you today. If you've never responded to the good news of the gospel, would you draw near to God? Would you, would you turn, that turn uh, of repentance from your old life and just say, God, would you forgive my sin and would you lead my life? We would love to walk alongside you as you put your faith in Jesus and maybe even take the step of baptism. There's more information on our website, hillcityboise.org slash baptism. But I would just love to invite you today to draw near to God so that you can live your life in God's presence and in relationship with the God of the universe who loves you so much. Maybe for you, you've already put your faith in Jesus. I want to close with four practices that can actually help us be the people God has called us to be. The first practice is to know when to say no. Know when to say no. No is one of the most powerful things that we can say to set up clear boundaries in our lives. Saying no consistently, right, if we're doing it with wisdom and doing it the right way, is actually a sign of incredible spiritual maturity, Bob Goff, in his book, uh, Dream Big, he talks about how he quits one thing every Thursday, just a regular practice of quitting things. Every Thursday comes around, he says, I'm going to quit something. What am I going to quit today? And actually, we see the apostles do this, right? Because we are faced with all of these different competing priorities that, that fight for our attention. The apostles have a situation in Acts chapter 6 where they're doing the ministry. You know, the church has started. It explodes, by the way, you know, 3,000 baptisms on the very first day, and it's just growing by, by leaps and bounds. And yet they have this administrative problem where, where there's, you know, these certain group of widows, they're getting priority in the food line over these other widows. And so, so, so there's kind of uh, fighting going on, and there's conflict management, and there's administration of food. Look at how the disciples handle this in Acts chapter 6, verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve. That word serve is diakonos, to do ministry or hospitality, the tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry 
of the word. That's good boundaries, right? That's not backing out of a responsibility. That, that's good delegation. And we in our lives, you know, what we do is we're, we're doing all of these things. We've got all these pots and pans, you know, on the burner. We've got all these things stacked up in our lives. And I would just ask you, how many of those things did Jesus actually ask you to do? How many of the things that we do in our lives on our checklist are actually things that God is calling you to do? And at the risk of doing all these good things, maybe we're missing out on the one great thing. Maybe we've forsaken the one thing that is necessary, being with Jesus, loving him, and loving the people around us because we're so busy stacking up these burdens. And really, I would say that's the secret to the the yoke being easy and the burden being like like Jesus talks about, is to set down our to-do lists and to actually pick up Jesus's burden and his yoke. And we will find that it is, in fact, easy and light. And that's the key to having rest for our souls. The next practice is to be present with the people in your life. Be present with the people in your life. We live in the digital age, and so one of the things that really crushes us in this area is we're too busy looking at screens, and we're not looking at people in the eyes. We're looking at screens so much, whether it's your TV screen, your laptop, your phone, that we're not actually looking the people we live with in the same house in the eyes. In fact, because our phones are always in our pockets, and they're always you know, on vibrate or, or, or they're, they're rigging all the time, we're actually more available to someone who gives you a call. We're more available to our phone than we are available to the people that we live with. So my challenge to you is just to be present with the people in the room. Be present with the people in your life, your, your family, your kids, your spouse, your friends. Relearn those rhythms of relationship. Relearn the rhythms of relationship. Uh, start having you know, regular family movie nights or, or family dinners each day. Uh, ha- have regular times where you're getting together with your friends. Join a life group, I would say to you. Uh, be present with, with people in our church, not just attending an event together or watching a video together, but actually getting to know people's names and stories and watching how God uses that community uh, to shape your life and to shape your faith in Him. Practice number three is to slow down for time with God. Slow down for time with God. One of the great enemies of spiritual growth and formation is the fact that we're always in a hurry. Is that we're, all, we're always in a hurry. We're worried and troubled about all these different things. And, and yet you can't rush certain things in life. You can't rush a plant in growing fruit. You know, we're going to get our, our garden bed rolling. We already have a few flowers out there in my backyard. When I plant the tomato plants, I can't just yell at it, hurry up. Grow your tomatoes. It's not going to do anything. There's certain kinds of things, and growth is one of those things. It can't be rushed. There's no fast food version of spiritual growth. There's no way to fast forward. And in our development, in our time with Jesus, we have to slow down so that we can actually spend time in God's Word. We can actually spend time in prayer and in silence and in Sabbath rest. This is why the the series we just wrapped up, our Rule of Life series, is so incredibly important. Important. I, I would highly encourage you, if uh, you weren't here for the Rule of Life series, to go back and listen to at least the first message of that series that it, I explained what a rule of life is. And if you were here for the whole series, remember that Rule of Life worksheet. You can find it. You can find all of the resources, the podcast, the videos at hillcityboise.org slash teaching. And you can just click on the Rule of Life series graphic. And there's a worksheet you can download as a journaling 
exercise. And maybe for you, you haven't done it yet. That's your homework this week. Do your rule of life worksheet. Uh, But maybe if you did fill out that worksheet, it's been a couple weeks, and you had some really good commitments for the Bible reading plan that you were going to start and when you were going to try to pray each day and how you were going to try and rest each week, right? Maybe you had some really good commitments, but you didn't really follow through with those commitments so that they turned into habits. So that would be my challenge for you, is actually practice your rule of life because we have to slow down. We have to say no to certain good things so that we can actually say yes to Jesus. And then our fourth practice is just listen to God's word. It's one of the big takeaways from uh, Mary and her example for us is she's not just spending time with Jesus, although she is, she's listening to his teaching. She's listening to his word. Uh, Jesus in John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Notice there's a progression. We, we must hear Jesus' voice first. That draws us into relationship with Jesus. And then it, fo- it leads us into obedience and following Jesus and living our lives. So spend time in God's word. Listen to significant portions of God's word. Maybe even try every morning and every evening. Uh, read through your Bible reading plan if you're going through a plan. Or just even read through the verse of the day on the Bible app. Or read through a passage until something speaks to you and hits you. And stop there and just reflect and chew on that. We have to be people of the book. People of God's word so that we can hear Jesus. And know Jesus. And follow Jesus. And sometimes there's just the uncomfortable reality that the Holy Spirit convicts us when we read God's word. And shapes us and tells us, you know, sins in our life that we need to repent from. And so we actually have to not just listen to God's word as and have contact. We need to be obedient to God's word. And when we do these kinds of practices, what's going to happen is God is going to shape us. He's going to teach us. And we're going to be able to center our lives around really the two greatest things that Jesus told us. That we should love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That Jesus is trying to draw us into relationship with God. And he's trying to draw us into relationship with one another. And when we center our lives around those two things, we will be the church that God is calling us to be. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you helps you follow Jesus with everything.